Good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Nick Ackert. I'm a junior at PR. I've been attending this church for about nine years now. Um, if you don't know me, you probably know one of my parents. My mom, Kim Ackert, she's a medic and she's also a small group leader for the youth group. And my dad, he plays guitar on Sunday mornings and he's also the head of Awana. It's a great ministry, by the way. You should definitely think about serving. So, this summer, I went on a few trips, the first of which being a NOLA missions trip. So, NOLA was a missions trip. We went down to New Orleans, and we worked in the inner city with a group, with a church called Urban Impact, and we ran a summer camp and a work team that helped clean up the city. And the other trip that I went on was a Challenge Youth Conference. So, at Challenge, it was basically like a week-long retreat, and every day we had two or three sessions, and there was a lot of different speakers. And there was this overarching theme of there is more. But one of the main topics that we talked about was community and how important it is. So the, purpose of the, whole, the whole purpose of church is to glorify God and make his name known. And God calls the church to do everything for his glory, and, in, and that includes community. Without community, the church is living in a way that's different than God's intentions because we can't fulfill that purpose unless we have that community so that we can reach out to those around us. And we talked about, I challenge how community can be formed in a lot of different ways. But overall, it's all about relationships. It's all about loving each other. It's all about just always loving each other. Now, personally, I've struggled with this before. Over freshman and sophomore year, I kind of set myself apart from my whole community. I made myself feel alone, and I just abandoned my community. And that was not the love that Christ wants us to do, and I, I couldn't do it. So today, our main topic is going to be how we live matters as followers of Jesus, so how will you choose to live? So Peter writes his letter, 1 Peter, to the persecuted Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia in order to warn them about the way in which they live and serve in this life will determine the way in which they are judged one day. Now that was a long time ago, but how does that relate to us today? This same topic relates to us in the way of we must live life in a mindset of expectancy. This meaning that we need to live every day excited to serve Christ. Live every day ready to love for Christ. Live every day to do whatever Christ is calling you to do. Live every day ready to give your all to community. Because one day Jesus is coming back. And we know that the way that we live matters. So how will you choose to live? For, Peter starts off this section of 1 Peter um, talking about how we can prepare our minds for true community. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober-mindedness for the purpose of prayer. Now, he gives us two main ways to prepare our hearts in this verse, the first of which is being sober-minded. Now, sober-minded by definition is being in control of your own thoughts and actions. I was reading a commentary by a guy named Alan M. Stibbs on 1 Peter to prepare for this sermon. And one of the things that he said was, Christians ought therefore to keep their heads and not be carried away by self-indulgence or excitement. I'm going to read that again. Christians ought therefore to keep their heads and not be carried away by self-indulgence or excitement. This meaning that we live in a world where people constantly are losing control over their minds. And as Christians, we need to be able to keep control over our minds so that we can not only see our faults, but so that we can help those around us. I like to think of sober-mindedness as like wearing glasses. As we go through life, our eyes decay and our sight becomes worse and worse. In the same way as we go through life, our sin blurs our heart and our minds more and more over time the longer that we leave it. 
And we need to put on God's glasses in order to see our weaknesses and our shortcomings. And this is why we need to pursue God's word because it shows us clearly what we need to do in order to be in control of our thoughts and our actions. Romans 12 talks about this in verses one and two. It says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that, you will, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now in these verses, there's two main words. The first of which is conformed. Now conformed is the thing that is the don't do. The definition of conforming is to comply with the rules or to behave accordingly to worldly standards. Now when you don't have a strong mind or a sober mind, if you will, combating the temptations of this world is next to impossible because sin will fill and control us and will distract us from living like God wants us to. And that's why we have God constantly renewing us. Renewing is the second word in these two verses. Renewing is what Christ does through the Holy Spirit in us every single day. He offers us freedom from the bondage to our sin. And since God is in us and is now constantly renewing our minds, the next step is to actively choose God over the things of this world. Meaning that we need, now that we can see our faults clearly, we need to choose to fix them. We need to decide to fix them. Because God can make your faults as clear as day to you, but if you won't choose to fix them, your heart will just harden. Sober-mindedness is so important because if you don't think right, you can't pray right. Prayer is the second thing that Peter tells us to use for preparing our hearts. In 1 Thessalonians, it says to pray without ceasing. And this is so important because prayer is, the renewal of our, prayer is the renewal of our minds. Prayer is us going back to Christ to renew our minds and confess our sins. Prayer is like going back to the eye doctor to get your prescription strengthened. It's us going back to God whenever a new trouble comes up that blurs our heart or our mind. It's going back to God and confessing our sins so that we can see clearly what Christ wants us to do. And we can only do that if we do what 1 Thessalonians says, which is pray without ceasing. So now, if we pray right and we think right, then the second thing Peter calls us to do is love deeply. Now he starts off verse 8 and he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, God gives us plenty of examples over the Bible of his love for us. One of my favorites is in Romans. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, in 1 Peter, Christ is calling us to love others, right? And Back when I went to Challenge, um, the guy named Jeff Vandersell, he was one of the speakers there. There was a lot of them, but he talked about community. And one thing that he said that really stuck out to me was, what God has done for you, he does through you. Meaning, God has shown his love to us through his sacrifice. He sent his son to die on the cross for us because he loves us. And in the same way, we need to be willing to love others, even if that means putting them first. And that's not easy, but it's what Christ calls us to do. And we also need to let Christ show his love through us to those around us in our community. And that could look like help, helping someone out who's had the same struggle as you. 
Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's anger and bitterness towards someone and you don't know how to forgive them. But Christ forgave you even though we constantly sin back at them. And Christ just calls us to do, or, excuse me. And what Christ does for you, he does through you. It could be even as simple as just sharing the gospel with someone and reaching out and being friends with someone. Now, Peter talks about this love, and one of the things, he talks about this fervent love, and fervent love never gives up. What does this look like? Well, this summer, like I said, I went to a mission trip in New Orleans, and we went down there, and we had some training days with PJ. He's a pastor down there, and he talked to us about their camp and how it works, and he talked to us about this correctional system that they have. They have this correctional system of stars and checks. The kids get some, a star when they say their memory verse or they do something good, and they get checks when they do something bad. Three checks, and they get sent home and suspended for the next day. When I first heard this, I couldn't believe it, and I didn't understand why a kid would ever want to come back to a camp that's so strict. You get suspended for a day and a half just for doing three wrong things. But the way that PJ explained it to us is this. He said, our love works like this. We never give in, but we never give up. PJ shows his love to those kids by never giving into their sins, never letting them just be sinful and letting it go. But in the same way, he never gives up on them. Whenever the kid's suspension is over, PJ and his son Elijah, they take turns and they go and pick up the kids from the inner city. They drive around picking up 20 or 30 kids just to bring them to camp. And this is exactly what this, this persistence is exactly what verse 8 is talking about when it says, keep fervent for your love with one another. Fervent by definition means having or displaying a passionate intensity. Fervent love isn't a feeling that you have towards someone. It's not how you feel about someone or how they feel about you. Fervent love is having a dedication, a loving like Christ did. This fervent love, it's like we talked about, it never gives up, but it also, it's always forgiving. It doesn't hold grudges. Even when, it forgives people even when they're not even sorry for what they did. And I struggle with this a lot because when somebody does something to me and they don't apologize, I just get angry and bitter and I hold it against them. And when I do that, I'm rejecting that love of, that fervent love of Christ. And when others, so when others wrong us, there's one of two things that we can do. We can either respond likewise and respond mean and in bitterness back to them, or we can respond like the passage says, and that's with love. The passage says that Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And that means just love covers a multitude of sins. Just like Christ showed his love and covered our sins by sacrificing himself, even though we are constantly wronging him, in the same way we need to show love and forgiveness to those who wrong us. And this is not easy. And that's why a big part of having true fervent love is to let, is to let Christ love through you. 1 John 4, 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you have God inside of you, his love will overflow out of you, because God's love is so big that you cannot contain it. So Christian love needs to be fervent, which is forgiving, never giving up, and letting God love through you. But there's one more step to it, and that's the practicalness of it. Peter uses verse 9 to show us how to be practical with our love through hospitality. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. So hospitality. Hospitality is an opportunity that Christ gives us in order to put our beliefs and our hearts on display for those around us. As followers of Christ, we get to emulate his love and compassion whenever we show hospitality. Hospitality helps keep our faith on track because it 
it lets other believers into our life who can then point out our wrongs. But we can, that only works and that only benefits us if we're humble enough to accept the correction, humble enough to take that correction and try to change that. Besides being an opportunity of growth for yourself, hospitality is an opportunity to reach out to the friends and family who don't know Jesus. That means that we have to shock them with the love of Christ. You need to plant a seed in their hearts and let God work through you to grow that seed so that they can become a true, mature Christian. And you need to show the joy of Christ in your life because Christ has changed your life so drastically that you need to let that joy overflow so that others can see it around you. Because what God does through, for you, he does through you. Now, hospitality is really hard, but it's really important. It's draining to serve people unless you let Christ serve through you. Burnouts are a real thing in our faith, but that doesn't mean that you should give up. When you're having a burnout, you should go back to the word. Go back to the word and refill. Get, that, get Christ inside of you again so that he can overflow into those around you. Now, this is, like I said, hospitality is really hard, but it's crucial to nurturing the community around you. So that means you can't give up when things get hard. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God calls us to be hospitable towards all people. That means making everyone feel like family. Being hospitable, although it's hard, should be viewed as a Christian privilege. How cool is it that you get to show the love that Christ showed you? You get to invite people into your community just like Christ invited you into his family. And God calls us to be hospitable towards all people, not just our best friends. That means even the people who annoy your brains out, God still calls you to be hospitable towards them. Hospitality isn't supposed to be easy, and that's why Christ being the center is so important, because Christ is the center of our love. Christ is the center of our community, because even when you can't, he can. Even when you can't love, Christ can. Even when your energy is gone and you cannot serve anymore, Christ can. So Jack is going to come up, and he's going to finish talking about community through service and spiritual gifts. So, Jack. Let me start off with a question. Why does Peter decide to describe and list off what love and hospitality are before going into serving. Because love and hospitality are how, we, how we're called to serve. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're called to use the gifts that God gives us to serve other people. But what are spiritual gifts? When going through this, I didn't really know. So these are the three questions that help me understand them. First of all, who gives spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 5 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That one's pretty self-explanatory. It's the same God who gives all the different kinds of gifts that we can receive. Secondly, when do we get our spiritual gifts? Well, Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the time of our salvation, when we receive Christ into our lives, Christ gives us a part of himself to live inside of us, and we can serve him, and whatever we do, he will get the glory through that. 
Thirdly, what's their purpose? One thing spiritual gifts do is they make us stronger. Ephesians 4.12 says, to equip his people for the works of his service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God gives us spiritual, spiritual gifts so we can advance in our walk and we can advance in our relationship in him and we can strengthen and we can live in the strength that God gives us and we can do the works that he wants us to do. Second, they change our appearance. Ephesians 4, 16 through 18 says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does, does its work. Since God gives us a part of himself to live inside of us, we will look differently and we will act differently from other people who don't have that. A good example of this is, when, is in Genesis 41, when Joseph is called to, the, to Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. After he interprets his dreams and he tells Pharaoh what to do, Pharaoh is in awe of what Joseph has done. And he says, can we find anyone like this man who's filled with the spirit of God? There is no one more discerning and wise as you. When God gives us the spiritual gifts, it has the power to put awe and wonder in any person. Those of us who are in Christ are a part of the same body. Whether we go to this church or not, we are all a part of the same body of Christ. And we're all called to love each other and to build each other up. How can a body function well if it attacks itself? And like Nick said before, while there's people who are going to annoy us, and yes, there's going to be a lot, we are called to love them. And if we can't, God will, and that's a blessing. Something I like to do is when people get on my nerves, I remember what Christ said on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. With this new understanding of spiritual gifts, let's reread the verse. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The Greek verb used for serving is diakon. Diakon means caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, practical way. In other words, basically serve. While reading and researching this word, one thing that kept popping up was that it's an extremely broad term. And re after realizing this, it's crucial to the verse because this means that no gift, no act of service is better or more significant than the other. As a human perspective, we tend to have the understanding that there's different levels of serving and different things are more crucial and they should be at the top of the list. But that's not how God sees it. It's all serving to God. It's all glorifying to God. So what are the different ways that God can use us to serve? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11 says, now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good, which means we, we use our gifts for each other. To one, there is given, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of that same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another 
distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are in work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And continuing further in Romans 12, five through eight, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is, if, is prophesying, then prophesy according with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It's so crucial that this word is so broad so that when a need is brought up to the church, it's done, it's completed, and that there's at least one person who can help with that problem. A good way to serve is in, to remember is what Christ did in John, John 13. That's the, that's the chapter where Christ went down and he served his disciples and washed their feet. Jesus' whole life was based on serving and based on other people. And he calls us to serve like that. From the time we wake up, from the time we go to bed, we're called to serve others. A great example of this is at a track meet, there's a race called the four by four. It's one lap around the track and four people do it. What's important about this race is it's at the end of the meet. It's dark, it's cold, everyone's miserable and tired and no one wants to be there anymore. But something miraculous happens at this meet. All of the team members who are tired, miserable, and they don't want to be there anymore, they go out into the middle of the field and they cheer on their team. They run back and forth over and over again so that they can cheer on their members. They forget about the pain that they have and they focus on the other members. And that's what we're supposed to do. Not every act of service we do has to be big or extreme. We should always be serving in small ways because small things make a significant impact, whether that's giving time to one another, whether that's simply saying hello to someone new, or if it's serving at, here at church, whether in a WANA youth group or another ministry. Like Nick was saying, we had a missions trip down to New Orleans. There were two teams that went down. The team that ran the day camp, they would help with classes, help with the kids, help teach, and overall just be a good friend with the kids. And then there was the work team. They would go out, serve the community, clean up lots, pick up garbage, and overall make the community slightly safer. Based off of everything we've learned today, which is more important? Is serving with the kids or serving the community more important? The answer is no, they're, they're all important. Of course they're all important. We're all serving God together in all the different ways, and we all come together with one body. And after doing all of that, we were all tired by the end of the trip, and we all wanted to go home, pack up our bags, and call it quits. But we didn't. But why didn't we do that? 1 Corinthians 15:58 says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, Always, not sometimes, always, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything we did in New Orleans will last. It will not be thrown away. 
In one way or another, it left an impact, whether for one kid in the day camp or one person who saw us working. We left a significant impact there. But how do we know that what we did down there will last? How do we know? It's because we don't use our own spiritual gifts and our strength. God is the one who uses them. 1 Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and power forever and ever, amen. Just think about the impact of that verse. If anyone speaks, they should speak the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should serve with the very strength that God provides. How many times do we tend to get that wrong on a daily basis? How many times do we speak out of our own strength? How many times do we serve and are boastful after it? The thought of this verse and the impact and the weight of it should scare us. But what shouldn't scare us is getting it wrong. What should scare us is not doing anything at all. Not doing anything at all is not loving, it's not serving, and it's not letting the Holy Spirit work inside of us. Now no, this is not an excuse to go around and do whatever we want. Once we're saved in Christ, we should want to be changed. Faith without works is dead. And a good story of this is the story of my dad. Before he came to church, I was younger, and believe it or not, I was not the best child. Um, <clears throat> whenever I would get in trouble, which would tend to be a lot, my dad would discipline me out of his own anger and out of his own strength and focus on what I did affected him. But now with Christ in his life, our relationship is completely new and we lean on each other and we go through life together. And it's a beautiful thing that only Christ could have done. How many of us here on brink, are on the brink of change like that? Catastrophic change that can change our life for the better. How many of us have tried to work, work on change and never seem to get it done? How many of us are out there who wanna serve and get involved, but we always shoot ourselves down because we tell ourselves, there's someone else who can do it better, so why bother? In some, form or another, we, in some form or another, we all have thoughts and we all have struggles like that. But remember this, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, at the, at the basis of serving, we might think we're serving other peoples, like we went down to NOLA. We thought we were serving other people. We thought we were serving the community, but we're serving God, and that's who we're serving. And since we're serving God, we should do it wholeheartedly and committed fully towards it. We're supposed to work with gratitude and joy, whether that's doing basic work at your job, doing dishes, or doing homework. It's all important and it all should be done with gratitude and joy. Now it's time to land the plane. Please brace for impact. <clears throat> it's important to remember that, th that at the end of everything, we will have to give an account for every word, every thought, and everything we, we will ever do. Do we want God to say, you lived with the pagans and you rejected me, or have him say, you rejected your old life, and you chose to live with me. 
The good news is that we can choose what God says. We can choose to accept the fact that Christ died for our sins and he carried them and he died on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death forever. If we choose to find acceptance and forgiveness and redemption in our new lives in Christ, we will be changed. And for those of us here who aren't there yet, just two years ago, I was in your spot. And the only thing I regret is not doing it sooner. How do we apply this to our life? The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Our youth pastor, Ron, who's a great guy, has built the foundation of our youth group around loving God and loving people so that when we go out and we move out of the house, we will know what serving looks like and we will take those commands to it. We'll love God wholeheartedly and we'll serve that way because it's Christ who we're serving. When we live like this and we love God wholeheartedly and fully committed to this, we will look differently and people will notice and hopefully they will come to love God and serve him with us. That's why the way we live matters. Lastly, how does this affect our place in community? During my time in youth group, we've had small groups for our grade. And while it's not easy being with some of them most of the time, they're the closest friends I've ever had. And these relationships I know will stick forever. In my family and community group, while it hasn't been easy, there are friends that they will have for forever and will stick with them through thin and through. And for those of us who aren't involved, I challenge you to join a community group. The only thing you'll lose is time to yourself. You'll be giving time to others, but others will be giving their time to you. And at the end of the day, you will all be giving time to God. And that's what we're called to do. So will you please bow with me? God, thank you for this message that Nick and I have produced. Thank you for speaking, speaking through us so that your word can come through. And God, I pray that this doesn't fall on deaf ears and that you give us the strength to do your will and to lean on you forever so that you will receive the glory forever and ever. Amen.